<laughs> this is where I go pee. It's Friday, July 29th, 2016, and you're listening to Catching Foxes. Catching Foxes is a podcast brought to you by layevangelist.com. My name is Michael Gormley, the founder of layevangelist.com, and I want to welcome you to this second part episode. Episode 53 of Catching Foxes is entitled, Greg Has Opinions, Part 2. In this episode, we explore Greg's new career in comedy and in writing, his hope to be a late-night writer, a late-night comedy writer, and who we find funny. I hope you enjoy it. God bless. But I'm kind of what like Chris Hardwick would call a comedy nerd. So I'm like dying to talk to another person about all of this stuff. So who are your guys or, or, or who are your gals? Like who are your main uh, comedy people? Like who do you look to? In terms of uh, I listen to for or watch for my own entertainment. Okay. Let's just start like. Well, let's start off like first with like like who are your like oh my gosh I will never like this is God to me this a person here they are just like they've impacted my life honestly so. the 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 biggest people to me comedically are so I moved to I moved to Chicago in 2011 and um, didn't know anybody didn't know anything about comedy and I. Uh, I would go to I started at a second city and I was taking classes there and the main stage show there. Um, there was a, they did their 100th show, but they also did a show called the South side of heaven. And it was, uh, you know, because the South side of Chicago, it's a play on words, but <laughs> it was a show and second city does two one hour acts. So the show is two hours when you watch it, it's a sketch show. And that show changed my life. Uh, and that's not internet Buzzfeed hyperbole. It changed my life because I didn't understand that's what you could do with comedy. That you could be mm-hmm. so personal. It's a six person cast just sharing who they are and these sketches are born out of things that they've thought and come up with in their political points of view and their personal points of view but their personal experiences all these things and the people from that cast that i got to know those people like those are you know like those are like kobe to me you know it's like they're like mm-hmm. jordan where it's like i'm i was close enough to see them before the world knew who they were but they've always been super famous to me they've always been amazing to me who are and, they and so, like, some of them are out there now, um, and they're not people that, like, you know, it's not, like, best friends, anything, but they're just people yeah. that I know and, and have seen and admired for a long time. Katie Rich is writing for uh, Weekend Update right now. Tim Baltz um, was on Drunk History for a long time, and now he's on um, Bajillion Dollar Properties on CISO. Uh, and so Tim is on there, and Tim is awesome. Tim is hilarious. Um, and, uh, uh, he wasn't in South, but he was in second city, Edgar Blackman, uh, and Chris red are two, uh, great guys who are both in the new lonely Island movie that's coming out. Oh, nice. And they're like, I'm doing all their plugs for them. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, Chris red and Edgar are both awesome. And like, uh, and Sam Richardson is on veep and he is just killing it. And he's like the nicest guy in the world. Um, you know, like when I knew him in Chicago, it just as like a dumb student, like just talking to him after shows and stuff and being like, you're so awesome. And he was always very nice and polite to me. And, and Edgar is a guy out here in LA who I've been able to know more and, and hang out with. And, um, just people that you meet that are just, uh, incredibly talented and work incredibly hard. And, and, and you know, it's that thing where, you know, hundreds of people who are all working in comedy together. Like when you, There is a move when you go from being the person in your town or where you live who wants to be funny or is funny or is trying to be funny, and you move to a bigger city, usually Chicago, L.A., New York. 
And yeah. you move to one of those places to take classes, to do the UCB thing or the Second City or the IO or Groundlings or whatever, to do that thing. And then you're in a new community of a couple hundred people, a thousand people in some places. Like in Chicago, it's huge. Mm-hmm. You get to know people, both people who are ahead of you, are teaching you, are your mentors and people you're looking up to, but also peers who are who take off and do those things. So it's funny because, uh, you know, it's 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 one of the things where I've seen there's a there's a lot less jealousy than I think people would expect when you see somebody gets SNL or they got a stand up special or they're in a movie or they're on a TV show or something. You're like, yes, because the people that you're friends with are awesome people. You make mm-hmm. friends with people who you are friends with, not on stage. You're friends with them in all the other time that you spend yeah. when you're getting beers, yeah. when you're hanging out, when you need to, you know, like go talk over jokes. So, but I would say like those people are great. I'm sure I'm forgetting people who are, who are also, but basically Chicago sticks together. Wait, and, so uh, uh, do you know uh, Beth Stelling? Yes. So I'm, I, I'm a friend of hers. I, I don't know her. Okay. I have watched her for a because she was from Chicago and yeah. I'm a huge fan of her work and the, and what she wrote about uh, her experience, like her sexual assault, the stuff <sighs> she wrote about that. My, that was yeah, like, please go and read that if you guys know. But that bro- like so her and my sisters, like I've known her since she was in third grade and we are friends. And I actually went to Disneyland with like her and my sister and we were all on L.A. for a weekend. And to read that, like just really it just it was just hard to read that you know as yeah. a person that like and like we don't like best friends or anything but like she's a person that like i mean i remember her spending the night at our house like she's a she's always been a really nice and a really smart girl and just oh yeah that was horrible yeah and and like so and that was interesting to see inside the community how there was a response because um something that you see a lot now um is that the comedy community, especially in the improv world, is dealing with sexual harassment and assault in a way that hasn't happened before and it needs to happen. Like and 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 I will say this, you know, all other stuff aside, like one of the things I got out of being Catholic in high school and in college and like being into it was watching the assault, like the sexual assault crisis explode and then get dealt with and watching people on a real human level have to deal with it. And it taught me like that the real way that you treat this is that you always trust the victim. You always believe the person that's a victim or an accuser or whatever. And the other, the person who's accused, like the way it's set up now, they get suspended, they get put away. They're in a place away from hurting anybody else. And it gets inner and it gets investigated and the police are told and all that stuff happens. And then if it gets cleared, then the person comes back. And if it doesn't get cleared, that person's gone. And the person who was a victim, that person is safe. <clears throat> and so I watched that happen inside the church as a high schooler, you know, where we basically remember, I don't you guys remember, I mean, the church, the bishops in America had to invent a policy mm-hmm. for oh, sexual yeah, yeah. abuse when we they finally, when we finally decided to do something about it. Well, going into the comedy community, there's, there's almost no, there is no precedent. So, it, so you're watching this where it's like, this is happening, like with... And it, it blows my mind, like like with teachers texting students in the middle of the night, things that are inappropriate or coming after them or other students like like, you know, people who are running your internships or even just people who are in your shows because we're an improv and comedy and an improv. It's yes. And so it's like, yes, you say yes. So, you know, like people talking like 
like, you know, somebody sharing online talking about like, this is a girl in a scene and, and all the guys in the scene initiate a scene where they're gangbanging her. And like, she doesn't know if she should say yes, because that's comedically what you're supposed to do. Or if she should say no, because she doesn't want that to happen. And it's like, that isn't supposed to happen here. Like, look, we're not like comedy is not a real moral place. It's not a place where everything's perfect, but it's a place where you respect and love the people that you're working with. Mm-hmm. And so the, there are terror, there are horrifying stories that are real. And it's, it's amazing to watch like in this community that it's not just in Chicago, it's in LA, it's in New York, that everywhere that all three of these communities at the same time are coming to grips with the fact that this is a real problem that has to get dealt with. And so it's, it's, it's weird coming from having seen it happen in the church, which is such a weird, different situation because you have like, mm-hmm. it's older people and children, and, but this is not that, but it's sexual abuse. And, and um, so it's been interesting, you know, just jumping off from that thing with Beth of like, like that thing of like, it blows my mind when people don't believe somebody like, like this idea that people just like make up, like they're like, they're just like another comedian. is just going to make up the fact that they got assaulted or something. It just, it blows my mind what happens. And it's so, it's, it's a frustrating thing. But my hope is that as we go through this as a community that come out the other side in a place that people do feel safe you know, yeah. to, to do those things in a way that I know that there are more people in the church that I hope are, are also safe to do that. Did uh, you think Hannibal, um, Hannibal Burris coming out and with all the stuff about Cosby, which he had been saying for a while, I think, did that like cause things to come out more? Or do you think that was a result of like all the stuff already being brought to light? Hannibal, I, what's so weird is you're right. Like Hannibal's talked about that before, but then like that one set he does. Yeah, just like out of like nowhere, it just took, like it took off. blew up. And yeah. I think it's interesting that I guess it's, it's, I was asking somebody the other day, I'm like, how many people does it take for you to believe them? Because Cosby crazy. has, Cosby has 60. <sighs> it's so nuts. how many, like how many people does it take? Like, is it that he's so famous that the number went up or like, you know, like what, is, like how many people does it take? To, for, for us to believe them. Look, Ben Roethlisberger has two rape accusations and he's, everyone acts like he's a hero. It's gotta be more than two. How yeah. many times does a man have to be accused of something before we decide it's a problem? And you know, like, honestly, I could understand like, well, well not sorry. Uh, um, understand is the wrong word, but if you are someone who knows him personally and you're wait, what? And like, let's just assume that you, Every is the Jello Pops guy, and then you hear all the stuff, and you're like, "How can this be true?" But we, as the American public, we don't know him personally. We know a we know a a concocted right. We know his brand image of we, him. We know the brand of Bill Cosby. Yeah, you know, like we know exactly. his commercial product, and so we don't yeah. owe him anything. We don't owe him totally. any benefit of the doubt because we only know product. And and it's uh it's that I I'm glad that he's. Like it's, I don't rejoice in that he's like getting pumped. Like it's not like I'm like, yeah. I'm just like, you're a horrible man. You're a horrible person who's horrible, done horrible yeah. things, Thanks. and you deserve to be punished for those things. And you do, and everyone deserves to be kept safe from you. And you know? I thought, you know, I I like really honestly think uh, Patton Oswalt probably had the best tweet about that when he basically he basically had said something where uh, he goes, you know, I will always have what uh, you gave me. There's something that, that effect, like you helped me be the, be the comedian that I am today, but this is where I say adieu. And like, this is where the, this yeah. is where it stops. And I just, and it, I it's, think it's hard because Bill Cosby himself is like, 
one of the most perfect stand-up albums. And it's the same yep. way that like, but it's, it's hard because, and this is not the same. Eddie Murphy's not the same because he's not a serial rapist, but like raw, <clears throat> like he drops the F bomb on gay people. Like, 20 times and it's just mm-hmm. ripping them for the first 15 minutes and you're like this is one of the best albums of all time but at the same time you listen to the beginning you're like what is ha- what are you doing like what are you doing right now and i think it's that thing where how much can you separate art from artists i think and better than i could say it, gerard's show i don't know if you watch the gerard carmichael show but you should it's mm-hmm. great it's the best multicam show on tv right now it's on nbc um but he has a whole episode about Cosby that's really, really good that I would definitely recommend you watch. Oh, that's but I'm sure you had I'm sure you had more happy questions about comedy to ask. No, honestly, because like this is all the stuff that like so I mean when I when I had hung out with like Beth A a couple this is about a year ago or so I was trying to not be like hey I'm gonna ask you all all these things and try to but like, I was trying to hint like I know this stuff and so then we started just like we just like went off about all these things we were just I'm talking about and just different things about like you know like how does a joke work and all this other stuff and so uh we'll just count the jokes that like she was like uh she was telling and like isn't this funny I was like yeah it's great like why does not it but anyways like like I want to go like my uh, hope was to talk about like kind of like inside baseball stuff is what I'm trying to say okay because I think that it uh I mean I don't know we're already on like an hour and a half. So if I mean, we should probably cut everything before we started talking about comedy. We <laughs> yeah. cut all of that out. out. Yeah. No, That's but good. like, I do think it's interesting because there's this whole world that I mean, and like honestly, I really only know it from podcast. And I went and saw a Mark Maron thing that just blew my world. It was just one of the greatest things that I've ever experienced. Him and um, the guy who opened was I'm gonna, I'm gonna get his name wrong. Uh, it was uh, Brandon Walsh. Hmm. Just absolutely. I mean, it was he came out with the funniest opener that I still don't know if it was an actually written joke or if it or if he just like did it on the spot. It was honestly I have never laughed harder in my in my entire life. But to me, it is really fascinating because I think there's a lot like it like just like how we talked about earlier. It is really real and it is really like honest and it's extremely like, vulnerable to be able to go up and do the things that you're doing when you are doing comedy and i do think it's really like i thought like louis as a ck the his like uh, like last like monologue when he was on saturday uh, night live was one of the greatest comedic moments that i have like ever witnessed it was it was incredible absolutely i mean the fa- i can't i was watching it with my wife and i think she was my fiance at the time but i mean we like applauded in our house i can't believe he got away with it that was like a tightrope walk of oh it was crazy it was, and, yeah he did on network he did a he did jokes about the point of view of child molesters on national television to an audience of tourists. And he got away with it. It was, that's, you can't, I mean, you can't do anything harder than that. Because child molesters are very tenacious people. They love molesting childs. It's crazy. It's like their favorite thing. I mean, when you can, it's so crazy because when you consider the risk in being a child molester, speaking not of even the damage you're doing, but the risk, there's no worse life available to a human than being a caught child molester. And yet they still do it, which from you can only really surmise that it must be really good. I mean, from their point of view, from their, not ours, but from their point of view, it must be amazing for them to risk so much. How do you think 
way Guy feels my last show, probably. <laughs> because like, it was to me, it was like everything that good comedy is like he made a really good point and it was like holy crap you like push the envelope without being like in, a, in like a really weird way without being obscene per se like he could be like damn shit hell and that would be like huh you know but like he didn't but he he went this really dark place in like a three minute monologue that was just i remember being like holy crap so who do you think is the best right now in terms of stand-up comics? Like, who would you put as, like, this is the guy who's hot or the the, the guy or, or the girl who's, like, in right now? I don't – I think that it's interesting because I think that there's still enough different people that want to see different stuff that there isn't – because of YouTube and because of being able to see snippets of stand-up comedy, it's been more democratized. So there's not as much the idea of four or five guys. I mean, there are four or five guys who make – the most money but it's not as much therefore like it's not like Seinfeld went everywhere and toured and he still could I mean I yeah. love I love Seinfeld but like Russell Peters is gonna crush globally and then play in America kind of you know and like mm-hmm. you look at people like Ron White and like those like Larry the Cable Guy those guys are still doing shows they're still selling out like it's so in terms of what's big I don't know I think I mean look Louie's not really doing hours right now you know he's doing horace and pete and, and other stuff have like you that. watched that yet i have not i have not watched i have it not yet. either i'm i really want to i've heard like six podcasts about it that he's been on but <laughs> yeah, i haven't I actually watched it yet i know i'm so behind in my tv i mean like it's my tv watching at this point is a job like i mean i watch all the late night shows every night because that's where i want to work so i watch them every night to see what bits they do and how their jokes work and and write those down and work on punchlines and all that stuff um what about uh, the appeals uh, to you um, stuff. So I love late night um, because I late night is great because it goes away then that night and the next day there's something totally new. And so, I mean, if you look at this sprawl of things you can do, you can do sketch comedy and, you know, you can write in a sketch show like for Comedy Central. You could do a sitcom. You can write movies. You could do all those things. But late night is so temporary. So, you know, you come in, you write 50 jokes and three of them get on and maybe they work, maybe they don't. It doesn't matter because the next night you get to write 50 more jokes and you write a sketch and it, you know, and it works or it doesn't, you know, like you do a late night desk piece and it works or it doesn't like it, I love that late night is agile enough to always respond to exactly what's happening now. And if it doesn't work, you have a chance to redeem yourself the very next night. And if yeah. it does work, you have a chance to keep the streak going the next one as well. So it's, it's, it's malleable in a way that isn't, you know, like with sitcoms and and things like that, like, you know, a a sitcom is there's weeks of you broke the story, you're writing it, you're rewriting it. Now it's getting shot doing those things where, you know, like that is that thing. And it's going to be that thing. And it's going to be on a DVD and a box set of a season forever, you know, but with late night, it's, it happens and then it's gone. And I guess it lives online if it's really successful, but it's nice because it's there and it's gone. And, and I, I love that idea. I love also that you have to come in and you don't get any help. When you walk in the door in the morning for late night, none of the work is already done for you. You got to start from scratch. And, and I, I enjoy that challenge. That's awesome. I right, recently, there you go. I, oh, sorry. Oh. You go ahead. I did a, I, I did a, I got to do a week workshop for NBC, um, a couple weeks ago. Um, they did a late night writers workshop. And so there were six of us that went to New York and spent a week at 30 rock, like writing and working in late night stuff. And that's awesome. It was, it was awesome. That. Yeah. 
Um, it was great. It was so I've, uh, you know, like there's a bunch of fellowships that happen in the spring, um, for different networks, you know, to get new voices in, um, which means of course, like racially diverse, but also diverse in terms of age and, um, gender and, and background and all sorts of things, because, you know, so many people are kind of very similar. And now there's a lot of like, this sounds bad, but like white guys in button up flannel shirts who went to UCB and took classes. Like, you know, like there's a lot of those guys doing comedy. And so, you know, to get different voices, you have to go to different places because not a lot of people can afford $450 every eight weeks to take classes and be part of UCB uh, while they're living in one of the three most expensive cities in the world. So seriously, you know, so that's the thing. So, and, and that's a huge thing that I know, like I was part of the second city diversity program and, you know, and did those things as well. And, And, you know, that outreach of trying to give new voices a chance, um, that have a different point of view. Even if you're writing the same jokes, you just have a different point of view. Like even like, you know, like you guys like working in ministry for so long, like you have a different point of view than somebody who went to college for an English degree and then now writes jokes, you know? Um, so anyway, there's a late night fellowship that they had and I've applied all four years that it happens. You write a late night packet, which is just a bunch of jokes and sketches and, um, and, and some different things. It's basically saying like, if you could use this stuff on the show and if you like this stuff, clearly you should hire me. And so everyone submits packets and, uh, you know, a bunch of people submit and, uh, I applied every year. And then this year I got a call back and then ended up getting it, which is really cool. Um, good for you, man. Yeah. That's it was, awesome. it was insane. It was really insane. Big deal. Like, yeah, it was, it's, it's like all those things where it's like, uh, I'm like, I, yeah, it is. It's like, I can't really put it in context. Like, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Like I got it. I just have to kind of keep my head down and be like, okay, I'm going to keep working. But it was great. I mean, they were super nice. NBC was really cool. We got to meet some um, exec people and we got to meet a ton of really cool writers and, and showrunners and stuff and really learn from the inside out how shows are put together and also how to be better writers working on a show, how to put together a better packet, how to better represent ourselves um, to write on late night. Cause it was me and five other people who all want to write and do late night and tell jokes and, and do that thing. So, and all of us were so different. We had totally different backgrounds, different comedy backgrounds and life backgrounds. You know, we're doing things differently, you know, we're from different places. So it was really cool to, to see all these people come together and, and realize like, uh, for me, the cool thing too, is, you know, we were talking about voice way, way earlier. Like no one else has my voice. No one else is going to tell jokes the exact way I tell jokes. And so it's not that you're competing against a bunch of people to say the same thing. It's you're, you're pitching what you want to say. And if that's what they like, and that's what fits with the show, then you're going to get it. And if it's not, it's not. Uh, but that lets you walk away from it and be like, well, I'm happy to be myself and I'm happy to make the things that reflect who I am. And, uh, you know, I think that's the thing is, I think that's one of the things that you, as, as unique or weird as it is to be like, very like happily Catholic in comedy, it, the benefit is like, I, know that I have worth and I know that I'm a good guy and I like myself. And so even if I suck at comedy for a week or for a day or a month or whatever, it's like, I don't, I don't suck. I don't have to fall into that pit of like, like you're only as good as your last set applies to your comedy, but some people it applies to their worth. And that's a dangerous place. And I think some people, that's what drives them to be really good. But some people that hurts, you know, and, and I think it's a benefit I have of being like, I like myself. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. I admit that I'm shitty. Like I can say like, I'm a pile of shit. And, you know, like I've got so many things wrong with me and I do so many things terribly and I'm such a pain in the ass, but I like myself so that then like, if an audience doesn't like me, it's like, well, I like me. My wife likes me. My, I, my, my belief is that God likes me. So 
cool. It works out for me. Is that, you know, your, like, is that your truth? Yeah. And that's, that's my, that's like, <laughs> and that's where I get to come from is like from this, I get to come from this world of like, I have that as a foundation. And I think, you know, there are people who are neutral on that. And there are people who come from a wounded place where it's like, well, God hates me and God doesn't like me. And I'll tell you this, I've met a lot more people, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, more than I've ever met Christians who were like into it and happy in comedy. I've met a lot of people who everyone in their church was shitty to them. Everyone that they met that was Christian was condemning them and yelling at them and telling them that they sucked and they didn't want to be around that. So they left, you know, and I was lucky in that that wasn't my experience. My experience was the opposite, that that was the only place that I went to that people were like, you have worth. You are awesome. You are worth something. You are a good guy. The only place I had that was church. And some people it was the total opposite. So when they leave, I don't I'm not surprised they left. If that's what it was for me, I would have left, too. You know, yeah. and that's where it's like, that's where that makes such a difference is like when I think about like, look, I go to church in Hollywood and, and like there are some people there who like you see on TV or there's some people, whatever. But it's like we're all just there to just like we're all there because we want somebody to love us. You know, that's why we're on stage. We're on stage because we're going up to an audience and going, here's something I did. Do you like it? Do you like me? Will you clap for me and tell and laugh for me and tell me I'm good? That's what we're doing. And so it's like and and. And in a grander sense, that's that's what church is for me. And, you know, and that's what I think church can be for a lot of people, but it isn't and because of their experiences or that's how they live or whatever. But but for me, that's the thing is like I get to go up with comedy being a secondary validation and not a primary validation. And that, I think, is something that I'll, I'll always love and be happy about that I have. Um, and that doesn't change the fact that, like, when I do a terrible set, oh, man, dude, I, I record every set I do. And when I do a bad set that audio, that voice recording on my iPhone gets emailed to my wife and she listens to it while I drive home and I walk in the door and I go, how was it? And she goes, not good. And then we don't talk about it anymore. And then like, all it. right, I'm going to drink. Yeah. I'm like, I thought that sucked. And she goes, yeah, it wasn't good. And I go, okay. And I'm pissed as shit. And then I just move on. And then the next night you do more sets, you know? And so it's, it's one, or you write more sketches or you do whatever, like it's that thing. But. Well, and I really think that, that that really is honestly also, and that's like how Christian life is at times. You can go, okay, that sucked, but I'm just going to keep going and just I'm know that I'm loved and I'm going to keep struggling. And it, it's not ever over with, you know, until uh, until uh, you die. Like there's this really great uh, thing from uh, the Louis uh, from the Louis show when he is talking to uh, he's talking to uh, Joan Rivers and she's you know they're talking about why do I do why do I do stand up and she's like you do it because you love doing it because you just have to do it and that's what I feel like a lot of times once you do encounter Christ you just want you just want to keep going because you love him and it's just and it's so impacted your life that you can't imagine not doing it so i don't know that is really cool we're like an hour and 45 minutes um, in my head we're cutting off like the whole hour but the whole because <laughs> it was way rougher than i expected so good luck editing that gomer yeah. just cut just go over just cut it off until we start talking about comedy and then so cut out there cut out the old gomer yeah, what, you could Gomer. Why are you not in this, Gomer? Let's talk about comedy, me and you, Gomer. Who makes you laugh? Uh, guys getting hit in the crotch with footballs. Okay. 
American. It's funny. Some videos. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Or more. Come on, Gomer. Come on. Jason Siegel. Is what is what's the last thing? What has he done lately? No, I have no idea. I'm just oh, Muppets. Looking. He did Muppets movie. He did Muppet movie. Yeah. Sure, yeah, but I'm I, just looking at web pages while you guys are talking. Uh, and I was looking but he at. He hasn't one. done anything though oh, recently. Oh, that's such a good point. Come on, Gomer. Will, you can stop. be. You can be part. It's all of about this. Gomer. Come no, on, Gomer. I, I listen. Let me tell you this. Okay, this I would is love gonna, to hear your thoughts on comedy. Okay, this is going to sound lame. I'm sure to you. Okay. But when people ask me why are you a speaker, what do you do to be a speaker? I tell them, study, read theology, and watch comedians. And they say, why? And I say, well, number one, if you just do catechetics like a moron, you won't know what to teach. You'll just know how to teach. Uh, but you ought to have the sharp and critical thinking skills of a, of a theology person, right? But the other thing is, comedians know how to read the room to feed off the energy of the people, to know how to shift and turn on, at least they should know, um, how to shift and turn on the mood and the reactions of the people based on the jokes and whatever they're doing. Because essentially, in so much of comedy, they're trying to get an emotional connection to the people in a joyful way, right? So you can have someone who is like um, a Dennis, uh, what's his name? Why am I forgetting? The, the Irish dude. Dennis Miller. Dennis, no, not Dennis, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, who's, okay. whose whole Leary. Shtick, that's, that's what I meant. Yeah. Whose whole shtick is, I always said Dennis Miller, and I was like, back it up. Not the thesaurus. <laughs> not the th- hey, hey. thesaurus. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the. Uh, not on Bill O'Reilly. His whole thing is he's incredibly angry, right? Yeah. But his anger builds a hilarity in you. Like, it's just so funny what he says. His Irish drinking, or his Irish song, drinking song, is hilarious. Um, but this this whole notion of <clears throat> comedy is meant to make you think in order to build something that's hilarious in you, you know, or something that you find hilarious. And I find that more than anything else, one of the things that I try to do in giving talks and all this stuff, and I'm totally serious. I watched, I, in the past, I guess I watched, I, I would say hundreds of hours of stand up. Uh, whether it was HBO comedy specials, whether it was, um, you know, comedy central, anytime there was a stand up comedian just doing stand up and not a show, I watched every inch of that. Every time there was a comedian on David Letterman or Jay Leno or whatever, I watched all of that stuff. All the sketch comedy stuff. I loved all that stuff because my whole thing is uh, you're communicating to human beings who are reacting in real time. So if you stand up and give A, a can talk, or B, you read from a piece of paper, you are violating the heart and soul of your audience. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, I'm not a comedian. I don't come from, I don't have this background. I don't study it like Luke does nerding out with this stuff, but I have, uh, you know, I, and and we were talking about sexual assault within, especially improv, the yes. And I've been reading a lot about that lately, um, and how horrible it is. Right. So they deliberately put women in these sexually compromising positions. Um, but I mean, my, my, my extent with it just kind of ends there other than I'm the funniest person alive, but other than that, I just it just I feel like I can't contribute to the conversation. So I stand on the street corner and I just wave at you guys. I just, oh, oh, good grief! Come so, on, oh, oh, please don't like me. I'm over. Get away from me. Oh, I'm just no. a I'm just you're a humble. Into, me at Lay let me say please, let me no. say the churchiest thing. I'll say this: You're turning into the Bible Gomer right now. No, no, I'm just a humble, <laughs> humble servant of the Lord. Be like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, um. 
So Gomer, so of those hundreds of hours, who stands out to you as this? What are this? What standups had the most impact on your? Because if people don't know, Gomer, you're like a professional Catholic speaker, and you talk about Catholic stuff. Mm-hmm. What? What? Who had the biggest impact on your speaking? That was a standup. Uh, oh, those are good. Uh, so Dennis Miller before he went political, right? So <laughs> Did you, have you ever, let me say, I, I hate repeating, I hate repeating another comics joke. But I'll give him credit. Did you, Anthony Jeselnik says that the greatest casualty of 9-11 is was Dennis, Dennis Miller. Miller. Yeah. No, I totally. Okay. Wait a minute, I don't totally agree with that. But no, I mean, Dennis Miller was his, oh, hysterical. Sorry. And then he went, he went, I mean, he went from hawk, from dove to hawk. And he only saw the Republicans as the ones who. Yeah, he uh, lost his mind. But yeah. before that. Everyone Dennis, at Francisco yeah, applauded him. He was yeah. killing it on HBO before that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, shoot, man. I mean, like, like late, late stuff where is all the Louis C.K. and um, Bill Burr. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, right now, oh, God, I see this is, this is embarrassing. <laughs> no, uh, Bo Burnham. I listened to a bunch of his. Oh, his song. Oh, okay. So, oh. Hold on a second. Really I, guess, I guess I'm I not allowed obsessed. to talk. I, I know. No, it's cool. I am obsessed with this with that one song, and I'm drawing a blank on what. It, oh, uh, yeah, Art is yeah. Dead. Yeah. I freaking love that song. Sorry. Go on. No, this that was about a good, you. That was a good contribution. Thank you. Thank you. That's all about AMDG. That song is about <laughs> AMDG. That's all I'm going to say here. Keep hey, going. Okay. Um, I really do. I, I'm a. I, See, I feel like an idiot, but Pablo Francisco. I love Pablo Dude, Francisco. Well, well, that hour he had, what was that? That was like in yeah. 2000? At, at the I mean, latest. At the latest. Yeah, I mean, that was that. But that hour, I remember that was getting passed around. I mean, when I was, I was, look, I'm, I was 15, 16, and that was when I really started thinking about and getting into comedy. It was because I had like his album, Dane Cook's album. Like it was all these guys yeah. now where I look back. But like those guys like Ch- and Ch- everything Chappelle did and I just listened to them all on repeat. I used to be able to do Pablo's whole hour. Yeah. Like you know, like because I had listened to it so many times. That's Maria, where he does, baby. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. That, and he did the tortilla lady and yeah. the tortilla guy and all that okay, stuff. I mean so, that was that was killer. That Sinbad? fifteen years ago. Sinbad? Sinbad? Okay. Larry oh, man, Miller. You were old school. Okay. Larry Miller. This is interesting. Do you like Larry Miller? Yeah. Do I like Larry Miller? Yeah. I believe that he is – he's not a guy that I've listened to a ton of. No, no, no. But back in the day, I – this is when I was – the 90s was Comedy Central for me. And I watched every single – like, How old are you? I'm 33. So I'm I was – 31. What, what world were you in where no, you were watching? I was, I, my parents <laughs> let me watch a lot of TV and no one oh. – without supervision. <laughs> I only got to see The Tonight Show, so we, we are in Oh, no, 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 no. So, I mean – Larry Miller um, was for me. He has a stand-up routine. I can't remember what it is, but I thought it it was so hysterical. I mean, I would cry when I would watch this stuff. I gotta find it. I I don't know. I thought it was so hysterical. But the I would always watch the 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 on BET. They had um, at the what was it? Improv at the Apollo. Live at the Apollo. Live at the Apollo. The Improv, right? 
Yeah, yeah. The BET had two comedy shows that I would watch whenever I would watch BET. Yeah, uh, what you watching, like Bruce Bruce? I mean, that's like old school. Yes, exactly. I was watching wow. sexy women dance and rap videos and then I, yeah. and R&B videos, and then I was watching the stand-up. That was like when Martin was doing stand-up stuff. Oh, my God. Martin Lawrence? I, yeah. I, I, I watched every episode of Martin, every episode <laughs> of Living Single. Uh, it's something I would never have guessed about you in you a million understand. years. You gotta understand, if DVRs existed, mine would have burned out on UPN. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, UPN, man, that was the uh, live, uh What's it, um, In Living Color was my yeah. jam. I followed the first season of Mad TV, and then I lost interest. Uh, but some of the comedians that came up out of there, like, they... I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Mad TV was... I mean, look, Will Sasso came out of there, uh, Phil Lamar, Jim Carrey... Was, no, he was on that. Uh, no, he was on Living Color. Color. He was on Living Color. Uh, Matt TV also. Uh, Bobby Lee was on there. A bunch of people were on there. Uh, Aries Spears. Yeah, Bobby Lee yeah. is funny. He's really funny. He's yeah, 10 he's years older than me. Okay. Yeah, we text. Well, yeah, we it's text. interesting. I, it's, I, when I think of like stand-up sets that I remember as a kid, when I think it was 99 for Bring the Pain, maybe, and Rock hosted SNL, and he did a bit of it. He did the bit where... It must have been after that because uh, I don't know when he was talked about like if uh, if I got if we go to war I'm not fighting there could be a tank coming down Flatbush Avenue yeah, yeah. coming down Flatbush it. Avenue <laughs> yeah, yeah and when like I remember that monologue watching it live because my parents let me like I, it was so insane I every night I remember I watched the Tonight Show and I get to watch SNL and I'm like eight years old yeah and, that uh, was the and same way comedian so that's what happens when you. Chris, Chris Rock, Bigger and Blacker, was probably the album that I listened to. Chris Rock and Adam Sandler's What the Hell Happened to Me. I probably listened to those yeah. two albums Chris, at least 100 why, times. I don't know why I really – I watched – I mean, Sandler's movies. Look, Happy Gilmore and Billy, Billy Madison I've watched a million times yeah, each. Yeah. But yeah, I, I skipped around his albums. But like I think of Chappelle, Chappelle – Chappelle I show. Know, I don't know if it's for what it's worth – um, but I mean, I, whenever, when those came out, I remember like, I listened to those over and over and over yeah, again. Like right. I could do those bits, you know, yeah. like, um, like that's how in my head I think about like, and then I, and then someone gave me Jerry Seinfeld. I'm telling you for the last time. Oh and my that, gosh. That's and, great. Like, yeah, felt yeah. It, because I had always thought, Oh, Seinfeld, that show, that's like, I'm a kid. I don't watch that show. Oh no. And then in I, my family Seinfeld, uh, Seinfeld was, you went to mass on Sunday you watch Seinfeld on Thursday. That's <laughs> well, see, what my, you did. I don't, and I don't know why. My parents were like my parents watched like Peter Sellers and like mostly British comedy and didn't mm-hmm. love. And then I don't know. We watched a lot of stuff uh, that was odd. But I had to discover Seinfeld myself. And and that album when that came out, those jokes were so tight they totally like changed my understanding of how you could do jokes. I mean his bit on the airport like those like those things where I'm like I've listened to them hundreds of times. And you real like it's like it's so tight. Snorkeling. I'm gonna yeah, swim. Don't die. There's a rock. Yeah. There's a fish. Who cares? Don't die. Yeah, and just I, yeah, like that where it's like and he's he's trimmed it so that every word is just killing. I mean that's that's amazing. And, and then so, I got into Brian Regan in college. I, I hated that. I hated when everyone got into Brian Regan. Dude, Regan was but that dude. He's Regan, good. I get it. He's really good. Regan, there's a there's a negativity. If you're living comedy, Regan's just a really good stand-up who's been around for a long time. Yeah. If you're in, like, Christian land, Regan is, like, a God. guy 
people don't like anymore because he was the official comedian until Jim Gaffigan came around. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like the Regan didn't do that. That's not his fault. Like no. Regan f- is just a, a killer comic. that has yeah. been working the road forever. The funny I thing is really annoyed my... with people at. Oh, oh yeah. Well, the funny thing about Brian oh, so Regan. Is... I have talked a lot the past five minutes. No, that's cool. The funny thing <laughs> is about Brian Regan is I, I was playing him uh, his CD, um, one of his comedy CDs. And a buddy of mine walked in my house and he goes, what is that? And then he's quiet. And I was about to like tell, Oh, it's Brian Regan's really funny. You know, in case you ever fly someday. Rah, rah, rah. And then he goes, is that Brian Regan? And I go, yeah, he is. You heard of him? And he goes, Oh yeah, he's my cousin. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's, well, he's my dad's cousin. And then Brian Regan came to town and we, he gave us 10 free tickets front and center to a comedy show at the Verizon wire. Then it was called the Verizon wireless center. And and backstage passes. And I was like, wow. hi, I go to Franciscan University of Ohio. <laughs> and he goes, Franciscan, I keep hearing about that place. What is going on about that? I got to do a show out there. And I was like, oh, my God, can I just shake your hand again? And that was it. <laughs> Who opened for him? Uh, His brother opens for him a lot. I think. Well, you know what's funny is when my, my friend was like, you know, his brother's really the funny one. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, no. I mean, his brother does a lot of writing. And Brian does a lot of stand up, but they, you know, they both they they were writing for some show together at at one time. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, usually his brother. I know his brother opens for him a lot. Um, and now Gaffigan is like the official secret Catholic Christian comedian guy. Well, um, we're showing a movie on Divine Mercy, and apparently Jim Gaffigan's in it. What movie is that? The uh, the official documentary on the Divine Mercy image. Oh well, they, I mean, he's. I mean, if you have you seen a show. Gaffigan's oh, show is awesome. Uh, it's on TV Land. I don't it's have him, TV Mike, Land. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it might be online. About it. It's like him, and then it, Michael Ian Black, and I forget, I can't remember her name. Who plays Jeannie? Um, but it's a it's it's a fun, solid single cam sitcom. Um, like I'm like the master of sitcoms, telling you which ones are are great or not. But uh, <laughs> this but that's, one yeah, it's like, deemed worthy. It is crazy to see how like I I think that it, whether you're as a regular person, but also as a comedian, the albums that you grow up listening to over and over again make such an impact on you, and they make an impact on your style, um, and how you understand how jokes work and what what jokes are about, you know. Um, and so, so it's interesting to see, like, just even for between the three of us, like what those albums were, like that Pablo Francisco album. I mean, like that had a huge yeah. impact on my understanding of comedy. Nice. Dean Cook had a big impact on that yeah. because it was like the idea of like the way that they tag jokes, the way that they hit punchlines, like mm-hmm. just everything. And you're listening to guys at the height of what they're doing. You know, like that wasn't a dude in a club. That yeah. was, I mean, the other yeah. one that I think a lot of us are Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah I was Mitch, Hed- Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge, that for our generation, that's a huge influence. You know who I was really into is uh, Daniel Tosh. In, yeah, in the very right beginning. before he blew up. Yeah, yeah, right before the Comedy Central stuff. When he or did his, even like a, a couple of years before that. It was right my in the brother, like early to mid 2000s. Yeah, my brother was super into him, so I heard about him for a long time. But the thing I loved about Daniel Tosh was the way he he played with his audiences in in the, with his audience in terms of like I I don't know, like involving them in the joke, making them the joke and then like not doing a typical punchline like and this is one of the things that I loved that I've literally I've quoted probably Daniel Tosh, Pablo Francisco, and Brian Regan. Oh, not Brian Regan. Uh, Brian Regan and Jim Gaffigan the most in my talks. I like quote whole chunks of them. But like 
where he'll be telling a joke about, hey, you know what's really funny when your buddy falls asleep in the car and then you just start spinning the wheel and slamming on the horn, screaming, oh, God, we're going to die. And the guy wakes up. And just as he wakes up, you just stab him in the heart with a <laughs> knife. And then you and then everyone's like, what? And then he's like, and then you watch that light die out in his eye. You ever do that? <laughs> and then as everyone's like uncomfortably laughing, he goes, yeah, side of the room that's taking the joke too seriously. <laughs> and just things like that that I just thought were so funny how he's. Just like playing with the audience, you know, like like he's immediately like you think he's gonna go one way with the punchline. He goes another way, and then he like rubs the audience's face in it. I loved that. You ever do this joke where you're driving your car at night, your friends in the car with you, they fall asleep, so you think it's hysterical? I love it. Just hit the brake, hit the horn, scream. Ah! And as soon as they realize it's a joke, you just can stab them in the heart. Does that ever get old, huh? Huh? The look on their face right before they die? Does it side of the room that's taking it too seriously? It's a joke. I don't stab people. I don't think I could ever stab somebody. I'm really bad at the Capri Sun. Yeah, I think yeah, Tosh and uh, Jezelnik are both, like, masters of doing that. Yeah, yeah. I've, What's amazing I've, is Jezelnik actually was one – he was on the initial writing staff for – uh, Fallon, when Fallon had late night, but when he first got late night with Jimmy Fallon, Jeselnik was on the staff there, which was and like then, amazing to me because he's like so his jokes are like so hard to put him on network TV every night. Seems insane. Because he had a show right on um on Comedy Central. A Tosh a bit, did, right? But no, the Jeselnik. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. the Jeselnik yeah. experience. Yeah, he had a show. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I'm watching going. Oh, this is funny. And then I never I watched it again. Rank rank for us your late night hosts. I can't do that. Um, Come on. I want to. I want to work at all of them. So there's no way you're going to get me to so, rank I mean, them but, okay, don't, on a podcast. Okay. Well, yeah, because they're going to listen. These to are it. like I would love if you. I would love to work at any late night place. If you're listening to this and have any sway at all over any late night place, I if, have a packet. Ready. If any I'm of ready. the late, if any of the late night shows, are if you're listening, listening this, it's only if you're listening, Jimmy, any Jimmy, <laughs> you're listening. I will prepare uh, for that catching foxes bump. I'm ready for that <laughs> CFB. Audrey Assad, she was able to sell one extra album. That's dude. That's a, it's uh, so funny. Two. I, I bought them both. Because, I, I listened to that because I thought, oh, I'll just listen to the ones that my friends are on. And see how that goes. And did so. you hear the part where I make fun of you? I didn't. What? Where, where is that part? Okay, let's, we got to have this conversation. Yeah, here Greg. we go. We I'm going to go pee really, really quick. We got to have oh. this conversation, Greg. Let me see. There's no podcast I've been on has more pee breaks than this. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no podcast you've been on drinks it's so heavily. So, this is so many pee breaks. <laughs> well, it's really just because I'm like, I don't have anything to add here. Yeah. yeah, every time someone knows they have nothing to say, they just <laughs> I'm like, that's it. I'm out of here. So here's the oh. deal, Greg. Yeah. Here we go. Everyone, okay. wait for I, this. I got my my lingering beef with you. Oh, okay. Okay. Can we can we That's resolve the... this on the on the podcast? Okay, Marin, let's do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that hasn't happened in years. Which Here's... of us is Marin and which of us is uh, Louis? I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus in this. You're a supplicant oh, wow. sinner. Okay. Wow. So here it is. Gomer doesn't know what you are talking about. I wrote a review. A movie review for LifeTeen.com when okay. you were in charge uh-huh. and you refused to let me give it five out of five stars. And me and you argued over the phone for 30 minutes and I finally said, fine, do whatever the hell you want. It's not what I want to do. Just do whatever you want. And you said, fine, I'm going to give it four stars. And you hung up the phone. 
you gave the movie that I wanted four stars because you said you said I I will only give I will only give five stars to extremely exceptional brilliant movies. That was your argument. I said okay. Okay, maybe you don't think the movie I think is a. And then the next week, the next week, you gave Rocky Balboa five out of five stars. Rocky Balboa is a five star movie. And I never again did a thing for LifeDean.com. Do you? I, okay. I literally no. This is this is how it ended. I literally took my computer and I I took it took out the hard drive and I drew I I screwed drill holes just through the hard drive. Then I set the hard drive on fire and I took off all my clothes and walked away. What was your movie that you thought was five stars? No, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. No, you. Then I I can't apologize if I don't, don't want know. you to apologize. I just want you to stew in the hate. I want to know what I, I really want to know what movie this was. I know that's going to be the best part. You got to listen to uh, Audrey Assad's interview again because I, I bring it up I'll... and she goes, she goes, yeah, he really likes Rocky Balboa, and I thought that was so funny. Which is so weird because I can't remember the last time I even thought about Rocky Balboa. I, I can Since remember. I saw it two from when ago. I saw it until now. What year was that? Like 2007? At least. Or at the most. <laughs> Good God, man. Uh, Rocky heard. Balboa is the second best Rocky movie. Well, Creed is not. Creed's not a Rocky movie. But Rocky Balboa is the second best Rocky movie. False. So that's a five star. Clearly, if uh, it has a robot in it as a servant, it's going to be the best Rocky movie of all time, minus the first one. What is what is this damn? Okay, let's see. What week did Rocky go? I'm gonna just look it up. Okay, well I gotta go pee. So, uh... oh. so everyone's going pee except me, and I'm not even the host of this podcast. You should go pee with us. Uh, Here comes Luke. But no, I really do have to end it's this. It's 12:29, 12:30 my time. Oh, Can we resolve this? I just want you to know that was 2006. Okay. That it came out. That's why I said uh, at the latest, 2007. Yeah. I would love just. Dude, no one who's listening to this wants the suspense of not knowing what movie this All right, this I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. All of it happily. It's Chinese. It's Chinese. Was it Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? It was later than that. It's the story of Ip redemption. Ipman? No, before Ip that. Before Ipman. Uh, it's a Chinese. It by it's the way, if anyone's Starring story. Jet Li. The, is it the one? Before, uh, no, no, no. The one. It's Hero. Hero. Starring oh, Jet it's Hero. Oh, God, I love that movie. I must have seen that movie 12 times that year and then never again I'm, since. I own it. Me, I want to, as, let me resolve this by I'll tell you two things and these two statements. These two statements of truth coming from the essence of who I am. Okay, go. They will resolve this for you. Go. Okay? Go. I have never seen the movie Hero. This is the second statement. It will never get five stars. <laughs> I know, because... It will never get five stars. Uh, I'm harsh. It has, dude, you know what's five stars? Only the best movies of all time. Not even all three Star Wars movies get five stars. Well, Coen Brothers movies? Not all three Star Wars movies get five stars. I and by three, and the three real ones. The first two do. And the first oh, one less uh, than the second one. Wrong. First one is 4.5. The second one's five. And the third one's four. No, I would say that, that the third one's only three. Whoa, three out of five? That means where, that, like, that's where the prequels start, I mean, man. You gotta that's think, where, you gotta that's think like the third one. Return of the Jedi. I know. Oh, but, my gosh. But think about this. But think about the third one. The first, almost the first, was it, like third is spent in the damn Jabba Palace? It's awesome. Oh, you don't like the Jabba? Okay, one, 
overplayed. Oh my gosh. Overplayed. Dude, oh, there's the, the skiff fight. There's the Sarlacc. Boba Fett's there. Oh my goodness. And, again, and yeah, and it's a comedy how they free themselves from the, oh, I'm Han Solo. I can't see. Oh, where's Boba Fett? Boba Fett. Knock him out. But then the whole, then the Death Star is built again? Come on. Come on. Yeah, look, third act is then weak. Again. Third act is weak. I, I admit it. But. The Luke part is good. My wife had never seen. I know we're going way over time, and you guys have to get up for work tomorrow. I'm going to push through. Um, oh, I work for the church. I don't have a real job. I'll go all, I go. I have a meeting at night. I'll go all night. I know I'm going to be back on the show. But uh, so the 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 thing about I ne- my wife had never seen any Star Wars movie, so we watched the three originals, like three nights in a row. As you and should. We watched, and we watched Return of the Jedi, and she is convinced that Luke is going to kill both of them. Like, she's, like, ready for Luke to kill Vader and the Emperor and win. And then that's the end of the story. And I was like, wow, you are a dark woman. <laughs> but then he didn't kill him. But it was there. But, yeah, no, Return of the Jedi is uh, the worst one. And that sucks. But it is. It's where the prequels start. I mean, listen, there are, I mean, I think the the whole part between, like, him and uh, the Emperor, that that is, that's awesome. But that's I do the think. That's part of the third act. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of like. The flag yeah. into the star is kind of boring. Han, I, I agree with Harrison Ford, and not just because he hated Han Solo, but Han Solo should have died. Han Solo dying in Act Two would have changed, would have pushed that movie up. And I love Han Solo; he looks like my yeah. dad. Uh, I'm adopted, so I have a white dad that looks like Han Solo. Uh, but like, yeah, like that would have that would have pushed those stakes up. So if like Vader or somebody had killed, like you know, when they captured him, they killed him when he got out of yep. States. It's just something that it's true. It's uh, but you need to sell toys. So that's why they did it. Yeah. Hey, listen. So wait, so do you, th- so, okay. So clearly the prequels are the bottom three movies, right? They don't exist. I think they, uh, to me, they exist. They're just at the bottom. Um, and then we have the middle three, which we've clearly given ratings to mm-hmm. where does force awakens go? Right. Oh, sorry. In terms of, okay. So number one is empire strikes back. Yes. Number two is uh, a new hope. A new hope. Okay, we agree. Gomer, do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Gomer sounds like yes. You sound sorry. like my that I beat at night. You're like all quiet. Yes, it's okay. Oh, sorry. No, I have my uh, volume turned down because I had to go pee. <laughs> oh. Oh, he did it in a bottle. <laughs> nice. No, no, no. I did not. No, <laughs> but I do agree. No, the the order okay. is 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 okay, five, so four, and then what is third? What's your third best movie? The Force Awakens. Yeah, but. But here's the thing. I don't know if it's going to age well. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, this is you are you are. I would like to confirm that word. If you're not a church person, <laughs> side joke, uh, dude, because I was I, I only saw it once in the theater because I couldn't emotionally handle it because I told my wife, I said, yeah. eight and nine suck. This movie will be such a false hope that I will hate it forever because it will show what could have been. Yeah. And. If it's a, if eight and nine are amazing, this movie will be even better. But it's in stasis, dependent on what the next two movies are. Well, and and I mean, I think also if it just holds up as a movie. Episode one was like that. We episode one I thought was amazing when episode one came out. I was a kid, but I thought it was great. And See, then that's, and, oh, never mind. Oh, when I got out of the theater, I was like, that was great, right? Oh, that was great. We loved it, right? Yeah. No, no, we didn't. Oh God, we didn't. Oh no. What is happening? And then I checked out during episode two when they had the whole C-3PO where he was like hanging on to those like hot. <laughs> like I was like, this is a video game that sucks. It's all this is. I, I 
gosh, I honestly, I've rewatched them recently. And I think that if you could, t- I think that with different actors and better directing, you could take the scripts and make them something malleable. Not, I, I, the, I don't even think with different actors except for the little boy and Aiden no, Christensen. I, I think with Hayden, different if, if you replace Hayden, I think that you could take, like, even the monologue where he's like, I hate sand. It's rough and it gets into places. Like, rough, if someone. And it's cold and it gets everywhere. Right. But a different actor could play that in a way that made it make sense. Al Pacino. It, yeah. See, I think that hey, oh, the hey, writing is so bad, that. though. <laughs> It's true, but uh, once I once I get back out, okay. Anyways, um, a huge ass. Sorry, <laughs> the writing and <laughs> the giant. Make America uh, great again. Anywho, um, <laughs> we need to stop talking because I have a daughter that I have to take to the bathroom and a son who I have to bandage his arm. Greg, well, thank you, Greg. We need to have you on again. Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on. Really. I just want, it means a lot to me that you would come on and talk to me. Yeah. It's your show. I, I mean, it's your show. It's our, it's our great, great, great conversation list. So uh, before we do go, we do have to get in our plug. Um, it's brought yeah. to you by brought to you by the Steubenville, Ohio, Papa John's. Remember, it is a $5 university special. Just give them a call. It's 282 uh, Papa Oh, what was it? I think it was 282 we don't even know, and they're paying us a lot of money. It's a 282-PAPA. That's PAPA, 282-PAPA. You know, if you call from a university phone, you don't have to put in an area code, and you'll get a large one-topping pizza for $5. Give us a call. And from the nice guy over at um, Hardy's, the Hardy guy, he was great. <laughs> well, he was. <laughs> Is it even still there? I'm, like, afraid it was torn down. Oh, I just hope he has a job. He and was so nice and, to me after a lot of drinking. And from all like the is rich. From all the waitresses who hated your guts at State Line, uh, we <laughs> want to give an extra shout out to. Shout out to those Tim Hortons waitresses and all the people at Taco Bell who called it a baja blast. <laughs> to the guy at the corner of of, of the bar at Cross Creek Tavern going, "What the hell are these college kids doing here?" Hey, did you guys know that something happened at Steubenville that's never happened since, uh, I want to say, mid-90s? They did a household life mass, and Lift High, the Banners of Love, was not the entrance song this year for the first time ever. That's that's a mistake. In honor of Lift High, the Banners of Love, I downloaded and played that song from John Michael Talbot, where the album art is a bunch of hands reaching up and a candle coming out of the middle of them. I don't get it. Um, Doesn't your kid have to pee? Yeah, yeah, but I just want to say uh, I've secured the rights to that song, and that's going to be the theme music for this uh, train wreck of a podcast, which I would have given five out of five stars, but Greg won't let me. Thank you all. God bless. God bless. Where can people find you on um, on Twitter, Greg, or on Facebook? You can find me. uh, I'm only on Twitter at Gary Jackson, and my website is omgreg.com. Cool. Dude, this was so much fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot, buddy. No problem. I'll hey, talk would, to you soon. Would you be offended if the whole Donald Trump stuff didn't get added? I would very much hope that all that stuff got cut and you started just at the point where you started earnestly talking about comedy, like <laughs> an hour and 10 minutes in. That would be really great for me if we cut everything that wasn't talking about comedy. So funny. I think that's <laughs> what's going to happen. For Greg. Okay. okay. All right. God bless you guys. Cool. Okay. See ya. Peace. Bye-bye.
body of Christ is an army Fighting powers unseen Bringing the captives to freedom In the name of Jesus our King Yes.